The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, it's time now to open God's Word. Let me encourage you to open up with me to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 16. Go ahead and grab a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. That is on page 962 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, we are in the middle of our fall sermon series on reverence and awe, the beauty of Christian worship as we're looking at some of these different elements of the Christian worship service and uh, what we do and why they matter and um, uh, just the details surrounding them. And this morning we're looking at a subject that perhaps might elicit varying degrees of uh, emotion or interest, but uh, nevertheless, there's actually something about this thing that we do when we pass a plate and take up a collection that is actually quite intentional and perhaps even deeper meaning than we first think, especially when we understand that uh, in the bulletin it says that the tithes and offerings. Uh, we're answering a question perhaps that you may have never asked this morning. Uh, what's the difference between those two things? Tithes and offerings. And what exactly does this act of worship mean in the big picture of what God is doing in our hearts and what God is doing among the Christian community, the church, in and around the world? What, do, what does the collection, the tithes and offerings, have to do with the spiritual work that God is doing in my soul and in my life to build me up into the image of Christ? So we want to think biblically about this uh, whole act of giving in Christian worship and what it means and why we do it as we look at the beauty of Christian worship this morning. And again, we're in 1 Corinthians and chapter 16. And so uh, if you've got your Bible open there, 1 Corinthians 16, let's, let's pray and hear God's word to us this morning. Our great God, we thank you for the scriptures. We believe that here we find uh, not just the words of Paul, but your word, your living an active word. And we pray this morning that with the same spirit that moved Paul to record these words for us, that you would move and then rest upon our hearts, that we would read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, and, and all for Jesus' sake. Come and bless us this morning with your word, we ask in his name. Amen. Hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 and the first four verses under the collection for the saints. This is the word of God. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let's take a close look at this text this morning. You've got a handout there in your bulletin uh, with some introductory questions and a three-part outline there as we're looking this morning at this 
this idea of this collection that Paul speaks of here. We're looking at the issue of the collection, the substance, and the implication of this collection. As we try to make, again, deeper sense of this act of giving in the Christian worship service, but particularly uh, this thing that Paul calls the collection. And uh, we'll, we'll try, to, by God's grace, to have a deeper meaning of, of this here. So first of all, let's looking at the issue of the collection here. Uh, there's actually going to be quite a bit of uh, context and history uh, in the background of what Paul is writing here as he writes to the church in Corinth from Ephesus. So this issue of the collection, we want to answer the questions, who and what? And we'll answer the rest of those investigatory journalist type questions, who, what, when, where, why, and then at the end, so what? But right now we want to see this issue of the collection, and we're looking at the questions of who and what? Uh, who is Paul writing to and what is he writing about? So let's be clear very quickly that Paul is here writing to the church in the city of Corinth. Corinth is a major metropolitan area in the ancient world, a major center of commerce and trade, a military city in the Roman Empire. Uh, Corinth is a place of great social consequence. And the Christian church in Corinth is both famous and infamous for a lot of different reasons. Uh, infamous and the letters of First and Second Corinthians bear a lot of significance about the real problems and issues that the church in Corinth was facing. But what's of interest here particularly for us is that Paul begins this section now in chapter 16 with these words, now concerning. And if you see there's a, a little footnote there and you look down in your text because there's something that is very significant about these words that might not exactly jump off the page at us. Uh, but Paul uses this introduction now concerning another time in the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's actually in chapter 7. If you want to flip back to chapter 7, quickly you'll see that the way Paul introduces a new subject a couple times in the letter of 1 Corinthians is with these words now concerning. And he does this in chapter 7 about the issues of marriage. Chapter 7 begins with these words, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Which tips us off to the fact that the letter of 1 Corinthians is actually a letter written in response to an initial letter that the church in Corinth writes to Paul. Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians in response to a letter that the church wrote to him about particular issues that they had questions about and were struggling with. And 1 Corinthians is a response letter. Now, very interesting, we do not have that initial letter that the church wrote to Paul. If we did, it would be eminently fascinating, uh, but we don't know the substance of that letter, but we do know that Paul addresses their concerns, especially when he flat out says, look, you wrote to me about this, and now it's time to talk about it. does it in chapter 7, and when you go to chapter 16, he does the same thing when he says, now concerning the collection. And so it's clear that when the church in Corinth wrote to Paul, they had an issue with this whole thing about the collection, which is why Paul shifts so abruptly at the beginning of chapter 16 to start talking about money, quite frankly, when in chapter 15 he talked about the resurrection body and the resurrection of Christ. And here he is now at the beginning of chapter 16, seemingly abruptly saying, okay, now let's talk about this collection. Now it might seem abrupt, but uh, if both parties have an understanding that it's an issue on the table to discuss, then it's not abrupt. 
It's kind of like in a meeting when you have an agenda and you move from one item to the next item and those two items aren't necessarily related, but because both parties, all parties of the meeting know that this is next, it's not out of order or strange that this is now the subject. And so that's, that's really the, the context for how chapter 16 begins when Paul says, now let's talk about this collection that you had a question about. So the who is the Corinthians, of course, and the what issue is this collection. Again, verse 1, concerning the, the collection. Uh, why do you think uh, this church at Corinth would, would want more information about this thing called the collection? Now again, we don't have the letter that they wrote to him, uh, but we can understand why they would maybe take issue with this thing called the collection. And I think we can all identify with it very quickly. Uh, when a Corinthian citizen, when a first century Corinthian citizen hears the word collection, reading in their context, all they hear is the word tax. The word collection to a Corinthian citizen means tax. Okay? Now, on the spectrum of human emotions from joy to sorrow, I mean, I don't know where you know, taxes falls on your delight and sorrow scale. Okay? But for most people, most likely, taxes don't elicit joy and, and, and happiness per se. So when the Corinthians are hearing Paul speak about collection, they want to say, okay, just what exactly are you talking about here? Because in the city of Corinth, Corinth was famous for being a, uh, again, major city, but also a place where the temple of Apollos was. And those ruins are still there in Corinth, and you can go and visit them. But these were pagan temples. And uh, for the Corinthian citizens, they were used to these religious sites having treasuries or storehouses of money where people would come and visit these pagan temples and then leave uh, a collection amount uh, to the treasury, to the storehouse of the pagan temple. They were used to people coming and bringing money and then leaving it at the pagan temples. And so here you have these Corinthian citizens who are used to this concept of uh, money and religion and not quite understanding the connection because, of course, these are, these are Christian people and they're saying, well, you know, we're used to being told that we have to bring our money to the pagan temples and then leave it there. But, of course, we don't believe in those false gods and so those the temple priests of the temple of apollos they're clearly pocketing the money for themselves and it's actually interesting that that first century context carries into sometimes the skepticism that people have about money and the church the first corinthians uh, the people at corinth would have certainly understand this confusion is this collection a tax what if i don't give am i going to be in trouble so you can understand then, in this context, why when Paul talks about a collection, it would give the citizens of Corinth a bit of a pause so that they would ask him, uh, what's the deal here? And he would say to them, okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this collection. Now this collection, of course, it wasn't for Paul. It wasn't for some capital campaign, for a building fund or anything like that. Notice it's called, in verse 1, the collection for the saints. The collection for the saints, and remind yourself that when the New Testament uses the word saint, it's not talking about some special class of especially important Christian people. Uh, who's it talking about? A saint in the New Testament is any believer, actually. The saints of God in Christ are just Christian believers. And so we could also say that Paul is saying the collection for the Christians. 
The collection for the saints. That's what this means. Not some special class of people. And actually verse 3 tells us exactly which Christians it's for. It's for the Christians in the city of Jerusalem. And we'll come back to that, uh, what that's all about here. But this is a very important theme that runs through the New Testament, especially through Paul's letters. Because Paul, as he travels around through the Mediterranean region, if you look in the back of the Bible, uh, there's maps that outline the journey that Paul went on to spread the gospel. But as he travels around, he's constantly talking about this thing that he calls the collection for the church in Jerusalem. Now, if you want to read about it in a few other places, you can read about it in Acts chapter 24, Acts 24, Romans chapter 15, of course here in 1 Corinthians 16, and Paul addresses two chapters in 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, to this subject of, of collection. And we're going to come back to those details, particularly about Jerusalem in a moment, but, but for now, just understand that Paul is addressing a charitable collection for the sake of the Christian people in the city of Jerusalem. So that's the, the issue here in the collection, the who and the what. And with that understanding, we can dive into the substance of the collection itself. And there's where you get the answers to the questions of when, where, and why. Now we can see the when and the where quickly, but the why takes a bit more, a bit more thought. Notice in verse 2 it says that this collection that Paul is calling for is to be taken up, verse 2, on the first day of every week. The first day, which is another way of saying Sunday, which is another way of saying the Lord's Day in the New Testament, the day of Christ's resurrection, the day of the public gathering of the church. Paul says, when you gather for worship on Sunday, take up the collection, he says, store it up so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul here is writing from Ephesus to Corinth, and he's saying, I'm going to come, and, and when I come, have this advance notice that, that I'm going to gather this collection, so have it ready for me. Now, there's some disagreement among people about what this means here. The People ask the question, does, does Paul mean that Christians are supposed to individually store things up and then bring it when Paul comes, or is Paul instructing that Christians ought to give and entrust that substance of funds to the church and then to be given to Paul? Uh, so there's a, there's a debate about that, but the answer becomes clear when we see that Paul expects that when he arrives at Corinth that, that that money would already be ready to go when he comes. So Paul is instructing that the Christians in Corinth bring substance to the collection, have it stored in the church so that it's ready for distribution at the right time. Okay, now here's, here's a very practical point that uh, I hope begins to make sense and why we would even want to care about this in this subject and uh, series on Christian worship. Notice that he uses the word collection and this is distinct and different from what we know in the Old and New Testaments as a tithe. Now you'll notice on the screen and in our bulletin when we come to that point of the service it's called the, the, the receiving of tithes and offerings. Um, and that's not a random designation. We use two different words because those are two different things. Paul is explaining here, as he does elsewhere, uh, that the collection is uh, similar to what we call an offering, which is different from a tithe. A tithe is a planned, regular, intended giving to support the ministry of the gospel in the local church with intention and regularity. That's a tithe. 
but an offering is, is different. Those two words don't mean the same thing. A tithe is one thing and an offering is another. And an offering is what Paul is talking about here when he's mentioning this thing called collection. Now, I think, again, some people are somewhat uh, hesitant or reticent to be able to discuss this in the first place or understand it from the scriptures. But if it's, an, if it's a part of our Christian worship service, shouldn't we have clear understanding about what we're doing and why it matters? Which is why we want to take such a close look at this. So that's the, the when and the where. The when is on the Lord's day and the where is to the church. But what about why? And here's, the, here's the bulk of the, the teaching here. Why do we do this? What is, what, is, what is the offering as distinct from the tithe? And why is Paul concerned about this to the church at Corinth? This is usually the, people that, this is usually the question that people want to get into. Why do we do this? Why does it matter? Specifically here in this text, why is Paul calling for a collection for the church in Jerusalem? And there's, there's two reasons. There's two reasons why Paul is asking for this. The first one is um, an economic reason. The first answer to the question of why is an economic reason. The church in Jerusalem is the first Christian church there in that important city. The city of Jerusalem, that's such a prominent feature of both the Old and New Testaments. And the church in Jerusalem was a church with chronic financial problems. As Paul travels around the Mediterranean, he is constantly raising support for this church in Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem that becomes so overpopulated because it's where the, the Jewish temple was. And so every time there was a feast or a celebration, the population would boom about two and a half times. And uh, the economic resources of the city would be totally tapped. And people wouldn't have enough to go around when all these people show up. The church in Jerusalem was also well known for taking good care of each other. So much so that the book of Acts in chapter 4 reports that there was no needy person among the church in Jerusalem. The church cared for each other very well, so much so that no one went without. So the people who had gave to those without so that there was care inside of the church. The book of Acts also talks about a massive and widespread persecution that broke out in the city of Jerusalem and scattered the Christian church in Jerusalem. And so the people who could afford to flee Jerusalem did to save their lives. But the people who could not afford to flee the persecution in Jerusalem obviously had to stay and there suffer greatly. But also those people who lived in the surrounding villages around Jerusalem, when the persecutions reached the outer edges of the city, when they lost everything, they would come into the city as refugees to find shelter in whatever resources that could be there, which was the limited resources of the Jerusalem church. And so the persecution in Jerusalem resulted in actually widespread economic disaster in the city and in the sake of the church there. Then, in addition to that, so there's even more reasons why Jerusalem struggled so much, uh, within one decade of those persecutions that spread out in the city of Jerusalem, a great famine swept through the region. One of the most important evidences of the truthfulness of the Bible is that we have secondary secular history resources that confirm what the Bible says about these widespread famines that were predicted in Acts chapter 11. The famine happened in the years 46 through 47 AD 
during the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius, and we have secular historians who wrote in the first, second, and fourth century talking about this widespread famine that was a result of multiple years of crop failure. But in the midst of this uh, struggle, listen to what one of these secular historians wrote about the Christian people in the city of Jerusalem. Listen to this description from a non-believing secular Roman citizen describing the church in Jerusalem. He writes this, that they walk in humility and kindness. They despise not the widow and they grieve not the orphan. He that has distributes to him that has not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and they rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after flesh, but after their spirit and in their God. But when one of the poor passes away from this world and any of them see him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear of any of their number is in prison or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessity, they will fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with his necessary food. In other words, even the secular historians had a high opinion and regard for the Christian people there in the city of Jerusalem, but they had shared among themselves so much that they had nothing left to share. Now, some people hear this, and they can't hear it apart from a, a, a charge of uh, unequal distribution of wealth. They call it socialism. Is this what the Bible is teaching? Not at all. This is talking about the, compare, the care and compassion that exists within the church for one another in Christ. And Paul knew how desperately the church in Jerusalem needs this help and so this issue of the collection is something that he teaches all the churches as he travels around. Notice when he says to the Corinthians that I gave this instruction to the churches in Galatia. And you are having this instruction as well. So there are economic reasons why Paul is taking up this collection. But the second answer to the question of why, 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 why this collection, and is perhaps an even more important reason than the economic reason, is that this has a deeply spiritual motivation. The why behind the collection is a deeply spiritual reason. Why should the church in Corinth care at all about the church in Jerusalem? They're over a thousand miles apart. It would take you a long time to get from one to the other in the ancient world. Why should they care? The answer is, of course, because the church in Corinth... And the church in Jerusalem, though geographically separated, are fundamentally one church. Because they are both Christian bodies. This deeply spiritual reason that Paul has is more about spiritual unity than it is about economic support. The Jerusalem church was primarily uh, populated by Jewish Christians. And the Corinthian church was primarily populated by Gentile Christians. And there was long-standing uh, disharmony and grudging among Jew and Gentile. And Paul is famous for teaching, for example, in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, 28, that it doesn't matter if you're Jewish, it doesn't matter if you're Greek. You're one in Christ. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthian, the Greek church, saying, 
Dear friends, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are in need. Will you help them? Will you care for Jerusalem? That fountainhead of spiritual blessings where the gospel comes forth. Will you help Jerusalem? And so this is a very important principle of Christian compassion and spiritual unity that we are one in Christ and that together we can do more than if we are separate. A simple point that is, isn't it? Think of last year when those three hurricanes struck Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico in rapid succession. Now, in amazing ways, thankfully, this church raised over $11,000 to go to supporting those hurricanes. $11,000 from this one church. But that $11,000 was added to the entirety of what the EPC collected, which totaled over a million dollars. Does $11,000 matter in the scope of relief? Absolutely. It's added together with the full scope of our church, the EPC, with over a million dollars. And the point that Paul is making here is that we can do more together than separate. Paul is calling on support from Christians to be given in mercy ministry to other Christians. And notice how it's a relative concept. Notice how he says at the end of verse 2 that, that this is an instruction to be given. I bring it on the first day of the week, store it up, and he says, as he may prosper. Right? That's a statement, a relative statement about amount. Because this, this collection, this offering is unplanned and irregular giving. Different from the tithe. And the point that Paul makes here, as he may prosper, is, is that some people can give more and some people then can give less, but it doesn't matter the amount. The amount does not matter. That's according to conscience. And uh, there's no judgment about amount when it comes to unplanned, irregular giving. It's a private matter. But Paul is more concerned with the reflection of the spiritual truth and the idea that there are Christians in need and we want to support them than he is concerned about how much a person gives. So see very, very clearly that the substance of the collection, this, this offering is that Christians are coming to the merciful aid of other believers in other regions of the world. Over and above the way they give to their gospel ministry in their local church, the offering, the collection is for this purpose. So here's the, here's the implications. Here's the, here's the so what. Here's the, here's the, here's the take-home points, right? Because this, this is the important part. We want, we want to see how this is an important aspect of our worship service, how it's distinct from our tithe, this offering, this collection. Historically, in the, in the Reformed churches, there was always actually two collections taken, one for the tithe and one for the offering, and rather than passing a plate or anything like that, there would just be two boxes in the back of the church that as people would leave, they would just put it there uh, as they went out. And historically also, especially on communion Sundays, a separate offering would be taken to, to be given to the deacons to discharge in mercy ministry for the needs of people. So distinct from gospel ministry tithing, there was the opportunity to give to the deacons for a deacon fund for mercy ministry, which is what this offering, this collection is, is leaning towards. This is the principle that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6 when he talks about the giving of alms, which is what the Old Testament context of the offering would be. And, and Jesus says, when you do this, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. 
It doesn't matter the amount. It doesn't matter the principle. It doesn't matter the direction. It matters that from your heart you're giving charitably over and above what happens to support the ministry of the gospel. But you're doing this out of love for Jesus. And, and, and we do this here, don't we? Right? A couple of weeks ago when, when missionaries were here, we took up a separate offering for them. That was, a, that was an offering. That was, a, that was a collection to aid their, their purposes. When we collect for the hurricanes, that's what we're doing. The deacons have a separate fund that they discharge for the sake of mercy ministry. When we give to the food pantry in that context, it is for the purpose of offering, as Paul calls it, a collection. And it's distinct from a tithe, but uh, the Bible is teaching us that this is a part of our Christian worship. And here's the most essential point about this. And we can even conclude with this point. When Paul says, when I'm going to come... I'm going to carry your gift to Jerusalem by, by letter and other people are going to take it so that you don't assume that I'm just pocketing it myself. He says, I'm going to send other people with it. And I'm going to write a letter confirming that they have it. But notice what he says at the end of verse 3. He says, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. To carry your gift. So Paul calls the collection the merciful offering for the sake of other believers here, a gift. But the word that Paul uses here is also the same word for grace. I'll carry your, your grace that you're sharing. The picture here in this whole business of offerings is that the Lord Jesus has provided you as a Christian believer with an overflow, an abundance of grace. That he has filled you up and it's pouring out the sides. You can't even contain all the love and mercy and grace that God has given to you. And Paul says in that concept, in the spirit of overflow and gratitude and love and compassion for all the mercy that the Lord Jesus has given to you, will you also share an element of that grace with others in this sense through monetary support, but also through other ways? through prayer, through service. The fundamental point that underlies this whole concept is that the Lord Jesus has provided a superabundance of love and mercy and kindness and grace. And Christians in Christ are called to share that among one another. And so when you are merciful to a fellow believer, when you support each other, when you pray for each other, when you serve one another, whether it's here inside the walls of this church or perhaps regionally another church in our presbytery or nationally in our denomination or internationally another church around the world, you are following in the pattern of the Lord Jesus who gives abundantly into overflow. Paul calls the church to give in response to a gift of infinite worth. So the gospel is made realized when we say freely we have received and so freely we give. And so hear very clearly that Paul is not laying a burden upon the people at Corinth. If people think about Christian giving in that sense, it's because they've come to that concept with preconsiderations that make them harsh to the idea Paul says this is all of grace. This is all of sharing of gifts and graces and mercy and kindness. He calls upon the church in Corinth to, to do it. 
And God, through His Word, calls upon us to continue to do this as well. Which is why we practice this in our worship services. But it's so important, isn't it, to understand why. And the bigger picture of abundance and overflow and mercy and kindness that is pictured through this act of giving. And so by God's grace, may He make us more aware of why we do what we do and realize that we are participating in the sharing of grace with one another when we obey God in this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that in Your Word You teach us about so many kinds of things, even down to the most elementary principles of giving. Lord, this may not inherently excite us, But we pray that through an understanding of your word and a growing appreciation of the gospel, that you would cause us to see how we share in the ministry of Christ through this merciful giving. And so, Lord, help us to understand, help us to obey, and make Jesus glorious in our sight through our obedience, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.